Welcome to this episode of Finding the Future, where we interview thought leaders and innovators in land use and sustainability. Today, we visit the medieval fortress city of Orvieto, located in central Italy, where the former mayor of that city, Stefano Cimicchi, explains why he was one of the first leaders to sign on to the slow city movement. So why would any mayor want to describe his community as a slow city? Beginning with Chianti in 1999, that is the city of Chianti, the slow city or slow food movement developed as a way to encourage restaurant owners and wine producers to prepare and sell high-quality food and drink. The movement also spotlights unique cultural attractions as a way to bolster local economies. In these small cities, slow food offers a sharp contrast to fast food and a homogeneous global culture. The result of this movement is seen everywhere you travel, in Rome, Umbria, Tuscany, and beyond. New organic and farm-to-table restaurants are opening up everywhere, along with reinvestment in cultural attractions. A byproduct of this movement is agritourism, where owners of rural farms and vineyards open up their homes and farmsteads to visitors, much like a bed and breakfast in other parts of the world. All over the countryside of Umbria, visitors come across small farms and stone buildings adapted to tourism and cultural learning and engagement. On a recent New Year's Eve, a small organic farm known as Agritourism Policar was crowded with almost 100 guests who had arrived for an eight-course tasting menu. Kids' toys were buzzing underneath the tables while the owner and her staff greeted guests and helped them find their seats. It was like a big Italian Christmas party. Agritourism is designed to leave visitors with a unique, one-of-a-kind experience and often results in long-term friendships as visitors return year after year. Orvieto tapped into this movement when Dr. Chimiki, then mayor, helped start the Orvieto Jazz Festival over 25 years ago. The annual five-day festival now attracts musicians and visitors from all over the world for a wide variety of concerts that are scheduled between Christmas and New Year's. And parades wind through ancient streets, attracting kids and families who can't help but follow along. Concert venues, bars, and restaurants in this city offer musical performances from early in the afternoon to late into the night. All of this cultural activity helps attract business and visitors at a time of year when central Umbria is a bit sleepy. We caught up with Dr. Chimiki in his home high above his working vineyard, along with his son Fabio, who runs the family business with his brother and is training to serve as a professional guide. Chimiki's granddaughter joined us for the interview, so you can hear her singing Christmas tunes in the background. Chimiki described for us what he calls the Orvieto Project and some of the challenges of maintaining a medieval city built on a fortress of rock. In 1997, this problem is more important because the rock crashed. Like a heart joke. Oh. Around this time, Orvieto was dealing with the effects of natural and man-made stress on the city's ancient infrastructure. Crumbling walls presented a much bigger challenge than simply filling up the city's restaurants and hotels. Dr. Chimiki explained how local leaders got together to address the crisis beginning in 1979, when some of the rock walls actually gave away. But if you want to save the rock and the old city, you must to make management of the negative externality. No, it's the waste, energy, water, white water, black water, 
every service, every activities. When Dr. Chimiki became mayor, he and a group of leaders started the Orvieto Project, seeking funding for this small but important Italian city. In this moment, I and other people write the, the economic session of this project. We make the Orvieto's project, the big project, the holistic approach, okay? And the emergency resource. And we make a big project, social, economy, geology, architectural, heritage, everything. You combined all the problems. Yes. Yeah. You combined and all we, the problems and created a big project to yeah, solve them. We improved okay. the project and we, come si dice, conquistammo l'attenzione del Parlamento italiano ed europeo. They, they conquered, he said, the attention from the Italian Parliament. Oh. And the European Parliament. And the European Parliament. And the Italian Parliament take the special law mm-hmm. for to save Orvieto. Chimiki and his cohort convinced the parliament to invest the equivalent of $150 million to rebuild the city's failing infrastructure, the crumbling walls, and also to restore the city's 800-year-old cathedral known as the Duomo. They even installed a network of cable to provide digital data service beneath the city, and they used ancient caves and tunnels that were dug and constructed back in Etruscan times. That project signaled the rebirth of the city and was the first major investment in that city since almost 5,000 troops left over 20 years ago. They make the management of this project in different things, the water pipeline, the cable pipeline, the way, the building, the whole old building, the the cathedral, the roads. It seems that as soon as Chimiki tackles one project, he takes on another. In 1997, he and his wife started a biogas plant on top of an organic waste site, which is now producing three megawatts of power using liquid biogas. This is one of many small biogas plants now operating in Italy. Chimiki also helped Orvieto pursue what he calls the knowledge economy, taking advantage of that digital infrastructure constructed under the city in ancient caves. But our idea was the improved knowledge economy. The knowledge economy. And now we have in Orvieto eight American universities and other for archaeological, architectural, humanism study. American archaeological students are attracted to the hills and valleys that surround Orvieto because it acts like an open archaeological site. And the Italian government supports field study of these ancient sites which date back thousands of years to the Etruscans, Romans, and even to Byzantine times. Together, my friends invented the new way, knowledge economy and uh, slow food. We improved the new economy in the knowledge economy and the economy of taste, il gusto. Today, the military buildings that once housed soldiers are at the center of the new economy, which includes American universities using the digital infrastructure that supports that same economy. Chimiki thinks back to the creation of the jazz festival, agritourism, and the slow food movement, and how important these developments were for the renovation and rebuilding of the city of Orvieto. At that time, old infrastructure and failing restaurants closed up to make way for new restaurants, hotels, bed and breakfasts, and a number of small developments in ancient farmsteads. 
Standards for food and wine improved dramatically at that time, and visitors started flocking to Orvieto in response. Every farmhouse now is the little hotel. Four rooms. Every small village was the castle. Now, every castle is the small, high-quality hotel. The tourism, on the cultural tourism, on the religious tourism, is only part of the economy. In Orvieto, we have the some company in the digital technology, broadcasting, on higher activities. I don't think that we can have only one economy type. It's a mistake. As we wrap up our interview, we talk about the renovation of the spectacular cathedral, which is in the center of the city. It is clear that this medieval attraction is the starting point for most visitors, but certainly not the end. There's plenty of restaurants and shops and other attractions in the city. If people like Stefano Chimiki continue to drive that discussion, Orvieto will look as much to its future as it does to its past. Issues like clean water, clean air, and the impact of development are perennial in big and small cities around the world. Still, it's great to visit these ancient sites like Orvieto and benefit from these movements, the slow food movement, the slow wine movement, and agrotourism, and still be able to have access to high-speed data links that connect the growing knowledge economy to other parts of the globe. Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding the Future. Look for additional interviews with people shaping the future of land use and sustainability. I'm Bill Griffith.